Today, we are honoring a great friend of mine, Brad Sosa. Brad was a loving man of God, a husband, and a father to many. He believed in moving the fight forward. So today, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up the first season of Eyes on Impact by releasing the last three episodes Brad recorded. I don't know if you realize it or not, but most of the work that you and I do has a direct global impact. To me, it doesn't matter if we're talking about Paris, France or Paris, Texas. Much of what we do is about connecting people all over the planet. And that's why I'm excited to have with us today, Sean Sadler from CGI in the UK. On this episode of Eyes on Impact, Sean and I challenge the idea of what true digital transformation is. And how, if technology is going to transform our organizations, we have to consider people first. We jump headfirst into the state of generative AI. And hear me on this. I have tech leaders all the time say things like, you know, Brad, AI is the disruption that's changed everything that we just changed. We'll talk about what Microsoft is planning with AI and then ask ourselves, is the disruption that AI brings on the same scale and order of magnitude of the disruption that the pandemic just brought? We'll also be honest with ourselves about the role of tech leadership as it relates to sustainability and climate change. We'll even dig a little bit deeper into the different priorities of sustainability in the US and the priorities of sustainability across the pond. But before we get all fired up about this conversation, I wanna just take a moment and say, thank you to our friends at LG who have been a great global partner of AVIs for a long, long time. Thanks LG for sponsoring today's episode of Eyes on Impact. So what do you say, you fired up for this? All right, man, let's get after it. Well, Sean, it's great to have you here with us. I'm excited about our conversation today. First, I just want to say thank you for giving us your time. Um, you're an interesting fellow. I, the things I've read and you know, speeches I've heard you give or keynotes and so forth, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Help us get started by maybe talking a little bit about CGI, what CGI does, your role at CGI. Uh, yeah, well, well, good afternoon, Brad. It's, um, it's good to meet you. Um, yeah, and I'm very excited as well. It's a great opportunity to, to uh, talk and to share information and collaborate. So CGI, yeah, global IT services company that's been going for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get shot now, but um, it's been going for <laughs> years. Um, since about 1976, I believe, actually, when it's first incorporated. Um, and as I say, it's global, it's over 90,000 employees now. And in the UK, I head up the Microsoft advisory practice for CGI. Um, and that really entails, uh, that really entails um, advising clients on how they can migrate to the cloud once they're in the cloud, how they can optimize their spend. Um, but also we get, we get you know, asked to come in and help them with how they can become more productive, more efficient, um, and also where they have maybe gone by themselves previously or used another supplier. And, you know, their, their environment isn't great at present moment in time. That's where we come in and really sort of turn things around for them. Um, and then the other side of it is the 365 practice. So that's looking at, obviously, you know, all the elements of 365 um, environment, also Power Platform. And then, of course, the thing that's come to the fore uh, right now, 
that unless you've been um, hiding somewhere, you would have heard of it as your co-pilot. So very exciting time. Yeah, that is exciting. And we're so we have a very strong Microsoft practice as well here in the U.S. MRPP partner uh, O365 with an emphasis on Teams and collaboration, but also app dev and Azure and all that kind of good stuff. So um, I'm excited about having that conversation with you and the things that you're learning. I'm I, like, like you, I'm excited about Copilot and what that means for us and what that mostly, you know, means for our customers. As you've, you've got a pretty diverse background. You've been in the public sector, the private sector, I think. And I mean, have there been some experiences, maybe a place you've worked or somebody you've worked with that is, really shaped the way you think about your role as a tech leader? That's a really good question, Brad. I, I think uh, I think I've been very fortunate actually in my career that I um, I've had several mentors re, re, you know really. Um, when I have been a bit stuck about you know what my future career direction looks like and how best to achieve it, uh, that's when I've really looked up to people that where I value their opinion, you know, they've obviously mm. got to where they are because uh, they're not just intelligent, but they're, you know, very good from a business perspective. But also, I think communication skills is obviously something that's really vital. Um, and yeah, you know, that when I was back at Convergent Systems, there's a guy called Rufus, he was like the CTO. Um, and he gave me some really good advice about, well, as we've probably all heard about networking. Yeah, it's really about trying to come out of that IT silo. Um, and it's a number of years ago anyway, but I think it's fair to say there's been a stereotype around IT and that we very much work in our silos and it's business and it's IT. And how do you, how do you make sure actually that business sees IT as very much one and the same, a real enabler that the business can do? Yeah, so that's so important. And, and today, as I talk with CIOs and CTOs and uh, IT leaders, I think one of the big challenges is that uh, many in our space um, still believe that IT is more of a utility. It's something I have to do to take care of workers. And they themselves don't think that they really have a stake in the outcome of the business or the success of it? I mean, how do you, how do you uh, communicate the idea that IT is not like plumbing or HVAC? It, it's actually going to make or break your ability to accomplish your, your organizational goals. Yeah, I mean, uh, as, as we all know, IT is, um, it is such an important aspect now of business and it is an important aspect of an enabler of the business. And without it, businesses just can't function. So, uh, and I think that really came to the fore to COVID um, when suddenly um, IT stock really you know, increased because they suddenly had to provide that remote capability for people to be able to collaborate right. and still operate as, as, they, as they did, um, but obviously in a, in a different world uh, and very quickly. And I think they had a lot of brownie points. I think the challenge is them being, um, how, do you, how do you build upon that? Now, how do you continue to demonstrate that you know IT provides real value to a business, to an organisation? And I think as technology evolves and the the use cases for that evolve, and that's this is where it's really understanding the business, isn't it? Ultimately, uh, obviously AI is the 
is the uh, topic of conversation for today, especially generative AI. But you know, it's much like the same as all technologies in the fact that yeah, it's not the answer is um, this technology. Now, what's the question? It's really what business problem are you trying to solve? And uh, you know, when IT leaders are able to marry that up with the technology and make sure that it delivers what the business needs, that's when they have the greatest success. Yeah, so Sean, I love that. I was I was out to dinner a while ago with a friend um, who also is a customer. She's the CIO of a large organization and um, uh, her and her husband and I were all out to dinner and, and through the, at one point in the meal, she just kind of starts chuckling a little bit to herself. And I'm like, okay, what's up? And she said to me, you know, Brad, I don't want to offend you, but you know, the video collaboration media part of the tech space that you're in pre pandemic, it wasn't even on my radar. Somebody took care of that. I didn't even think about it, but post pandemic, it's like one of the it's integrated into three of my top five deliverables to my CEO. So if, if we don't succeed at, at collaboration, if we don't succeed at helping the workforce re-engage back at the office, if we don't succeed, you know, and she had this list, um, I can't deliver on it. So IT became critical to their organization's operations. What are, I mean, you obviously believe that. What are, two or three critical issues that CEOs have to solve that IT can can actually accelerate? I think, I think ultimately um, it hasn't really changed for business in what they're looking to do. Um, you know, they're looking to, to do things quicker, they're looking to do mm -hmm. things more, you know, more cost effectively. Um, and they're looking to have that unique selling point, aren't they? That USB. Uh, so those, those I think, are the three things that CEOs always look in um, to enhance. Um, and and really, you know, with technology, you can achieve all three things. You know, when implemented in the right way, when you understand, as we talked about, the, the what are the business challenges, where does you know what are the business goals, where do you actually want to get to as an organisation. Um, then you can position the technology accordingly to optimize your operations. So obviously today you now have lots of chatbots, virtual agents, and all the rest of it, uh, which can be 24-7, so you're not having to rely on being able to earn any right. during a certain amount of time. Um, but also you've got things such as RPA, haven't you? So you can take manual repetitive tasks out of the equation, and actually they can be, you know, churned, churned out um, as and when those tasks arise. Um, and, and you're really optimizing the headcount you require for that. Uh, but at the same time, we've talked about how, how you can actually re repurpose uh, those people within the team so that they can do yeah. more creative work and that's actually going to provide more value for the company. Oh, I love that. So I, I want to dig a little deeper in this idea of digital transformation. And I'm going to read something that I I attribute to you. Now, I may have, I may be paraphrasing this, so forgive me if I am. I, the statement is, if digital transformation is going to be effective, then you have to consider the people that are involved. 
And I th this was a statement that I heard you make. And I think the context of it was that if you're actually going to be transformative to the organization, it's going to start with transforming people, not just the tech itself, but focused on. Yeah. So have I, have I caught that right? Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, um, again, it comes down to technology isn't, technology is, is the enabler, but technology about the people uh, the, to adopt it, to be able to adapt their working behaviors, to be able to get the best out of it. Um, right. It's just a technology, isn't it? And so, yeah, to your point, any successful digital transformation, certainly any sustainable digital transformation relies upon ensuring that your people are very much part of that process and very much on the on the bus uh, so to speak um and you know that's where business change comes in is making sure that obviously that though they understand the rationale why they're doing this because of course i mean ai as we you know as we know is gonna change our workforce um you know undeniably uh, possibly beyond recognition but you know some people's view on it is a real positive because it's going to make their lives a lot more um more effective efficient you know so some of the mundane tasks that they do today are going to be that made that much more efficient and obviously that's one of the things that copilot is is promising to do um whereas other people will think well i don't necessarily have good digital literacy skills per se and what i do today um could be automated AI could take over my job. So it's really how do you ensure that both both elements of the workforce or you know even you know subsets of those uh, feel secure in that you know what their role is going to be. So any technological technological change um, addresses that. Um, and actually something that I learned a long time ago, I had the fortune to go on this this uh, executive management course was was talking about change uh, with people. And uh, an analogy was the change house. I don't know if you've heard of that at all, Brad, previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it starts off, everything's fine around here. The unconscious or incompetent side, you know, there's no need to change. It can become denial. Well, I don't see why we need to do this because everything's working just fine. Um, right. And then obviously it's having to accept, well, yeah, if we carry on the way we are, things aren't going to be continue to be fine because businesses if they unless they continue to adapt and change will go out of business ultimately yeah I, I love that so you know we we hear people say that people don't like change and i just i don't know that i agree with that mm. i think people like the other side of change yeah i don't think they like the process of change yeah i'd agree right how how do you how do you paint a picture, tell a story um, about the other side of change? Um, or what do you do to uh, for your customers so that they embrace the process of change because they want to get to the other side of change? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. So some of the, some of the assistance that we provide our clients is that, you know, very aspect. So, um, you know, it may be that they've implemented and, you know, we talk about people being the most important aspect of it is yeah. because, you know, they may well come to us and say, we have 
implemented some changes. We have moved to the cloud. Um, we now have some of our critical systems up there, but yet capability of the team is not where it needs to be. And right. they're, they're not very forward looking. And actually, there seems to be a lot of reluctance and reticence to actually get on board and you know, see this as a real, um, you know, real positive for them. Um, so that's where we come in and actually, you know, really try and understand. And everyone's very different, aren't they? But it's really trying to understand uh, where they're at today, why they feel the way they do, and really try and position. And some of it is because, um, you know, you talk about the process of change and the fact that yeah. I think people in it, you know, when you've been in an infrastructure role for a number of years, you've got comfortable with that. You know what's expected mm. of you. And if something is upgraded, then it's just something to learn on top of what you already do. But when it's complete change, as they see it, suddenly they're out of the comfort zone and nobody likes to look stupid at the end of the day or feel stupid. And I think that on the, on the whole is um, the sort of perception that we get back. So it's really trying to reposition it, reframe it, if you like, so that this is a great opportunity. And it's great. This is where industry is going and this is, where you can continue to enhance your skills and keep current. So it's really trying to you know, change their their mindset uh, in that respect instead. Yeah, that's really good. I, um, so I was speaking at an executive summit, sharing at a summit recently, and, um, and the topic of AI was a hot topic everybody, of course, wanted to talk about. And... Uh, the a, a group of of executives and leaders that was there their their response to me was well hang on brad um ai is the disrupt is the disruption that will change everything that we just change <laughs> <laughs> and and the context of the conversation which i thought was brilliant was you know we just went through this pandemic and everything changed and ai is threatening to change everything yet again. I and and the, the 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 sentiment was that I'm not sure that we have a the tolerance to change like that again. Um, what do, what do you think? I mean, is is AI the disruption like on the order or the magnitude of the pandemic? What's your thoughts? Well, I think I think there's, there's two answers to my question. Uh, One is that yeah. As you're aware as well, AI is not new. That's right. Yeah, yeah. AI has been around for a number of years. Um, of course. I think it's just now that obviously with large language models and generative AI right. suddenly become much more useful uh, than it was. Um, it was useful in certain cases like narrow cases, but obviously now it can be Applied across a whole load, uh, you know, whole, whole load of use cases, um, and certainly, you know, you start another. So we've had conversational AI for a while, but of course, now we're going to another level. So I don't see it as something totally new, but of course, is it is an enhancement on what has gone before. Um, but to answer your question about is it, is it a disruptor? Yeah. Well, absolutely, it is. Um, but there have been many disruptors before. And, you know, as I said previously, if a business 
does not continue to change and adapt and embrace the new technologies that come along that are going to help it to keep level with its customer competitors, let alone actually, you know, uh, maintain its USP, then they will fall by the wayside. So I don't think it's a case okay. of not having, I don't, I don't think there's a choice, is there, involved here. It's a case of do this or, you know, um, not have such a, a healthy business. So, so where do you think, so I, I think of impact um, in, in, in our language, we talked about it as human impact. Technologies that impact people in such a way that it actually changes the trajectory of their, of their life or of their organization. Where's the early big impact for generative AI? Um, is, it, is, it in, is it around tech? Is it around jobs? Is it around ethics, techno-ethics? Where's the big impact you think that everybody's so concerned about? Well, um, I think I think ethics is is definitely something that they're concerned about. Um, For sure. Yeah. I think when ChatGPT version three came out, three point five, um, the fact that it was answering questions giving you answers and not saying, oh, I don't really know the answer to that question. It would give you right. an answer, <laughs> which wouldn't necessarily be correct, but it was the best answer that they had available, so therefore it gave it to you. And I think that's the concern that it's not, it's trying to put in those safeguards. And, and obviously this has been recognized by our government and Rishi Sunak, who you know, have this uh, AI summit for ethics. And also Joe Biden, yeah. I just saw this morning, I believe, that he had decreed um, some AI guidelines that need to be followed as well. So I think I think everyone's concerned about it. Um, and I think it's like ever, anything, isn't it? It's something that's quite powerful. Um, it's making sure that it can't be used for ulterior motives. So, so let's talk. I'd like to dig in this just a little bit deeper, if you don't mind. Sure. And... Uh, the topic is really around AI and OI. So it's artificial intelligence and organic intelligence. And and there's a lot of concern around the techno-ethics related to AI. And I, by the way, I, I, I totally get it. I have very deep concerns around the, the ethics regarding the AI. Um, but I've, I've begun, as, I, as I'm seeing AI, generative AI in particular, ChatGPT as an example, being uh, integrated into you know, work life more aggressively. Um, I, I began to ask myself the question, will the ethics question begin to get solved because good people, organic intelligence, good people are going to write the guidelines and decide the, the way that AI is applied. Bad people will also make decisions and the outcome will be bad. But good people will make decisions and their outcome will be good. Do you have a perspective on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I share your, your thoughts on that. Um, so as we know as well, I think the, the other thing that AI has suffered from today is this unconscious bias. Um, right. Yeah. So 
things such as facial recognition, a lot of the, the data, the images that have been provided previously were of you know, white males, or, you know, so white females as well. And there wasn't quite, quite so much cross-section was there between uh, black and Asian um, people. So the facial recognition wasn't, wasn't quite good, but that's just kind of an example. Um, but there's also been some sexual biases as well previously. I think the great thing is that that's been recognised and that is being addressed, but it's just making sure that, you know, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, and you know, right. inclusion today, and it's trying to ensure that we encapsulate that within the AI ethics and guidelines going forwards. And, you know, I have every confidence that, that will be the case. I think the other thing is that, um, you know, Microsoft talked very much, you know, for Microsoft, this is very much a, a topic that they are, um, you know, have a great deal of interest in, and they're at pains to point out that they're they are you know following responsible AI practices. So they've got their right. guidelines by using OpenAI's you know LLM within their products that actually it can't be used for anything that's you know, that's not for good purposes, as you talked about here. Yeah. So so there's some good safeguards that being put in place there, and that will continue with most you know, legitimate companies or you will obviously always have and you're going to have this in every whatever technology you use that's right. that's right. look to circumvent those create their own versions of ai that don't have those controls or guidelines in place and i guess those are the elements that i'd be concerned about get it so what is what's your expectation what should um, what should our expectations really be about the impact of AI in our businesses? I mean, is it really f around optimization or should our expectations be more than that? Um, well, I think it's going to fundamentally change organizations, isn't it, ultimately? Uh, mm. I mean, if you look at Amazon uh, just recently, They've now started to get. This is where Terminator. <laughs> they've now started to deploy test robots, haven't they, in some of their warehouses that can actually, that right. actually have limbs, can walk, to pick up items that again would be very um, manual. Um, it's work like I think picking up empty cartons, etc. That you know, uh, not so um, interesting as well. Pieces of work, but. But that's an I that is an example of where AI is going to continue to evolve and change the workplace. And actually, how I see it is that AI is going to work in tandem with human beings. So yeah, to so have the human AI experience, which should be complementing each other. Um, and I think it's also worth pointing out that the way we're looking at things today, and it's it's under, completely understandable, is that AI is going to create a lot of efficiencies. AI is potentially going to take people's jobs. But also, like other technologies, there'll be other jobs created. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, there's an interesting statistic is that um, of those college students, university students that graduated, you know, sometime around the pandemic, uh, 
the expectancy is that they'll have between eight and 10 jobs, different career paths, different career jobs, uh, by the time, before they get to 40, age 40. And one statistic I heard was that, or it's actually been repeated several times now, is that more than two thirds of those jobs haven't even been created yet. And so one of the challenges for us as an organization with our customers is that, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with IT leaders and, and I'll just focus in the area of collaboration as an example. A lot of our customers have a set of acronyms after their name, which associates their experience with certain brands of technologies. And, uh, the challenge for them is that their identity is so closely tied to a brand that they can't imagine an effective role for them without being tied to that specific brand. But maybe that brand's lost its relevance for a season of time. And so now they're in a quandary and, and we find, we find ourselves talking with them about imagining their role, uh, but not necessarily tied to a specific brand or a specific technology, but tied to how they lead or tied to how they see technology used or applied, but not necessarily around a specific subset of technologies that they've been, they've invested a career in developing skills around. Are you seeing the same kind of thing? And if so, how do you help, how do you help people kind of imagine um, maybe a, a different, better role. So I, I'm not seeing any of that myself specifically, Brad, but we, mm. yeah, we do work slightly different, um, you know, environments, I guess, in that respect. Um, sure. But certainly, you know, uh, it became evident to me a number of years ago that you can't rest on your laurels. You know? Right. You, know, you can't just assume that because you've got to a certain position and you've attained a certain amount of knowledge that, and then just put your feet up and sort of <laughs> relax, and uh, you know, and that's it's, you continue to be employed because you won't. Uh, you've got to remain current, and and that also that also means that you've got to you know, come outside of your your work environment um, and look at what's going on, you know, in the rest of the world, um, and, and and then really try and. You know, imagine things forward. You know, uh, look into the future and think, what is going to, what are people going to look to focus on in the future? And and also that comes down to though, doing your research. You know, uh, reading from various channels or listening to podcasts such as this, so that you can keep abreast of what's going on. You can get some ideas, and then obviously you can then look to dedicate some time to upskilling, you know, learning something new potentially. Right. And I, I think that's part of, of our role with our customers is to help them uh, imagine a different way. Right. And it wasn't so long ago that, you know, everybody's voice architecture as an example was on-prem mm -hmm. and, and now it's almost exclusively in the cloud with the exception of some applications and, and just the ability to reimagine that transformation was hard for some to make. And yeah. so, I, I don't know, I guess for us, part of, part of 
what we find ourselves doing is helping people imagine their role on the other side of change. And as a result of that, they're more willing to go through the process of change. You, you talk about this, this bigger, you know, look, look beyond just your perspective of the world, look bigger. And that, that brings in maybe the topic of sustainability and climate change, which I, I think is something that you're pretty passionate about. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, do you believe that, that IT leaders have a unique ability to help um, organizations accelerate towards carbon neutrality or um, make a difference with sustainability? I do, you know, undoubtedly. Um, uh, and for a number of reasons, really. Um, one is education, uh, educating organizations in uh, the measures that they can take. Um, and, and you know, and that comes, again, that involves really coming out of your silo of what it, what it is you're expected to do as an IT leader and actually thinking more about being a business leader in that respect. Mm. Um, but I think also it's, um, it's acknowledging the fact that IT technology, you know, even more so now with AI as well, is increasingly at the heart of businesses, uh, how it's being used today. Right. They're becoming increasingly reliant on it. Uh, data centers are, you know, continuing to grow. The footprint, the carbon footprint of technology is continuing to grow. The power is now taking over the airline industry uh, in terms of its global carbon footprint. And um, it's quite frightening, really, when you think about we are, we are all under pressure, you know, or countries, and, and I would say individuals as well, to try and reduce our carbon footprint. You know, how can we try to ensure that we leave a world behind us that is at least as good as it is now, if not better, you know, as opposed to something that, you know, what we're seeing with weather extremes, um, that is potentially going to get worse. So um, we definitely need to act now. And I think with IT technology leaders, they have the wherewithal to do that. We know that we can reduce our carbon footprint for organizations, uh, with that education, uh, measuring, monitoring, etc., um, and it's something that, as a passion, I share with a number of other IT leaders as well. You know, they, there's a specific group that we, we get together from time to time, and we share best practice, um, and you know, and ideas, and I, you know, and I think it's something that we should continue to really socialise uh, and make sure that everybody, you know, all IT leaders are aware of how they can play that part. I love that. So um, you're in the UK, I'm in the US. I sit on the board of a global tech association. Um, our organization does business in more than 60 countries. Um, there's a vast difference in how people view sustainability at least my experience is, I'm curious if it's your experience, um, region by region. You know, Europe has a very different view than the U.S. has, which has a different view than Latin America or Asia PAC. And, and uh, I guess my question to you is, first, do you, do you also see that there's differing priorities and um, expectations on sustainability depending upon where you are in the world? And if you do, how do you help people 
develop a common vision around uh, carbon neutrality or sustainability? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And um, I guess if you look at the UN's definition of sustainability as well, I think there's 17 um, goals uh, that they, they define. Um, and obviously climate change is one of those. Um, but they are all very much linked, aren't they? You know, we know that um, we know that you know, ice caps are melting. We know that actually fresh water, uh, it will be a premium um, in the years to come. Um, we know that that's happening in faraway countries from us anyway, in the UK, you know, certainly in, in the likes of Africa. There's, you know, droughts are becoming more and more common. Um, and it is something that I think the UK has become more aware of. The US has come, become more aware of. I think um, we are taking this more seriously because, I guess, we have that knowledge about you know, what we can do to, um, to improve things and, and ch- turn things around. I think it's also, though, that if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, on the whole, we are having our basic needs fulfilled. Um, and we're able to think about something other than how do we feed ourselves, uh, you know, over sure. ourselves. Well, I guess in some of the other poorer countries, um, they don't have that luxury. And for them, it's all about, you know, yeah. do whatever it takes just so they can get by every day. And obviously the war in Ukraine, et cetera, hasn't helped with that. Right. I was, I was talking with, um, Adi Riazi, who's the CIO of Hearst Corporation. She was actually on a previous episode of this podcast. And she shared the perspective with me that she was in China and uh, was visiting, uh, I think she was working for the UN at the time, and was visiting this this um, electronics recycling. And she saw a family, so parents, children, manually uh, disassembling circuit boards, pulling components off. And she said that in that moment, uh, she realized that that's her stuff and that the, the mercury and lead and other hard metals that are, that, that was transferring into the bodies of those people and those kids that was a that was a moment of inflection for her that fueled a desire to create change um how how do you communicate how do you get people on board cios in particular tech leaders in particular because most want to do something but i'm finding that few have the latitude to actually do it how do you communicate that moment of inflection that says let's let's stop talking and start doing yeah i mean that's a really it's a really good point brad you know and obviously that um you know to hear that story i think it really brings it home to you doesn't it and i and i think ultimately um people are different and you know they will react in different ways and of course you know and and some of them will may need a story such as that you know in order for it to hit home and others you know, unless it hits, hits them right between the eyes, you know, I'm not right. going to sort of take notes. But, you know, the way I the way I see this and the way I, I guess I, I sell the, the benefits of 
IT leaders really taking seriously is that ultimately, um, if you can take measures to reduce your carbon footprint, you are also predominantly, um, I'd say, saving costs. Because, you know, yes. yeah, for example, it may be yeah. that um, you're moving your stuff to the cloud, for instance, um, and you are implementing scripts or routines or maybe dynamic scaling so that you only use the resources um, available when you require them. And they're not just being continue to be consumed uh, just in case. Yeah. And that's, again, obviously one of the benefits of the cloud. Uh, be the same in the data center. Right. How do you, how do you, you know, we talked about things such as cooling and data centers. Um, and actually, a lot of those costs don't necessarily come to the IT leader, but it's really making sure that they can have full visibility of everything that, um, that they do today that um, is responsible for the services that they're providing and having that full visibility. And I think that's another part of it, really, is having that full visibility and you know, uh, transparency of, of what the costs are today. And then saying, well, actually, do you know what? We can save costs on cooling because we don't need to you know, cool it within an nth degree of you know, uh, these recommended settings. Right. And actually don't need to keep replacing our hardware every three years because actually it can last longer than that. Because you know, when right. you look at carbon footprint of phones, etc., I think 90% of the carbon footprint of the phone is when it's actually made, when it's first manufactured. So if you can elongate that, you're then continuing to save money for the organization and doing your bit for um, saving the planet. Yeah, and I love that because here in the U.S., our story's really been around responsible sustainability. It's really around a circular economy and, and reuse and repurpose. And mm-hmm. and uh, when it makes business sense, then it gets then then there's plenty of stakeholders, and then it it becomes part of your DNA and your culture. Yeah. So I I totally agree with you. I really appreciate that perspective on it. Yeah. How, so I'm going to get ready to. How I'm, IT I'm sorry. Sorry, Brad. I was just going to say. Yeah. I did a I did a um a, a presentation um you know at one of the, at the events uh, an IT leaders charity event and you know that for me was how can IT leaders become superheroes? Really, that for me is mm. it's those measures as you talked about the circular economy, the re- reuse, the recycle, uh, etc. So that. Um, you know, they can save the organization's money, especially when money's money's very tight, but, but also feel that they are making a difference. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I'm going to land the plane here with us. Um, we were we were talking earlier around Microsoft mm-hmm. and Microsoft AI and Copilot in particular, but uh, are, is, there, is there anything particular in the Microsoft ecosystem that you're particularly excited about? Uh, well, we're, we're playing around with, my, uh, with Copilot at this present time, actually. And um, it's, it is exciting to see, because of, as you're probably aware, Brad, they put Copilot in with all their products across the whole product range, across the whole products. Right. Right. So, um, and actually the, the event that I went to, the Microsoft Cloud Partner Program event, now renamed to Microsoft AI Cloud Partner. Right. So um, 
but yeah, you know, that for me is exciting, you know, seeing what we can do with Copilot. How is that going to help organizations be more efficient and effective? But, but also to do so responsibly, responsibly have that governance in place. Um, and that's really building upon, say, the Power Platform where you've got the low code, you've got your citizens, developers, and it's making sure that an organization gives its staff, its employees, the ability to use the tools, but do so in a responsible way and having some sort of level of governance so that the data is still going to stay within the, the remains, the confines of that organization, and you've got your appropriate data classification and sensitivity controls applied as well. Super good. Sean, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you for giving us some of your time. I've appreciated it, my friend. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Well, no, I think uh, ultimately, uh, yeah, I've also very much enjoyed our conversation um, and I hope that it's been of use to, to people that listen to it. 